In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me in studio this morning is Sue Minter, who is the executive director of Capstone and in Barry, Vermont. Welcome. Thank you, Pat. So nice of yes, you to have great. us on again this morning. Excellent. Well, we love having you on. You're so knowledgeable and you sure know your community, um, which I really appreciate. Um, I heard your Add on WDB, and thank you for that. Um, but you were talking about few of your neighbors, and I, there wasn't a lot in the ad because you only got a few minutes, and I thought people really need to know about that service that well, you provide. Thank you so much, Pat, because Fuel Your Neighbors is an annual campaign that we actually kicked off here at uh, WDEV, and this is a 100-day campaign. It starts on what we call Giving Tuesday after Thanksgiving, Mm. and it ends in just a few weeks, and we are really in the home stretch, and we want to thank all of our listeners because we set the highest goal we've ever set for ourselves Three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, and that money goes to help both the folks who need food at our food pantry and throughout our service area, the different food security programs we have, but also heat through the winter. And you know, both of those are urgent needs and sadly still growing needs. Um, I want folks to realize that many, many Vermonters, particularly those on fixed incomes, are really facing difficult times. Um, In our food shelf, you know, I think you've heard that two in five Vermonters currently are facing food insecurity. It's hard, but when I come to our Barry headquarters and see so many people accessing the wonderful nutritious food that we purchase. Right. You know, we don't get government support for this, and that's why we really rely on our neighbors. But over the last two years, Pat, we have had a 110% increase in the number of ind- individuals coming wow. to our food shelf. So we used to have on a daily basis, you know, 20 to 30. Now it's 70 to 80. Uh, it's really uh, astounding and, and, and discouraging to see. Yeah. And the other piece is fuel, uh, because when you look at the cost of rent, the cost of heat, and the cost of food altogether, we see that people often aren't able to make all those ends meet. So Fuel Your Neighbor also helps folks who come to us who don't have enough to get through winter. That's amazing. And I have to do a shout out to Chef Joey. You know, I love her dearly. Um, Sue has, they call it the Community Kitchen, Kitchen Academy. Academy. And it's um, a very intense uh, few weeks and uh, the graduates leave with certificates and get jobs. It's one, she has like a 90% uh, job placement rate. I mean, and they do a lot of cooking for the, for the food shelf so people can come in and get fresh dinners. The all Community made. Kitchen Academy is a beautiful, it's one of our win-win-win programs. We actually get um, donated. Now, this is a partnership with the Vermont Food Bank. Right. So they bring some of their food for us. We get gleaned food, you know, the volunteers who go to the farms yep. and pick it up. 
And all of that food that might have otherwise been uh, wasted is in our industrial kitchen where we are uh, uh, creating not just um, helping people get the skills they need to be employed, and those skills are certifications, um, but also really the training of teamwork, of commitment for folks who have been unemployed for right. a number of reasons, getting them back into the workforce. But every day they're, pr- they're pr- producing um, beautiful, nutritious right. meals that go out through our food shelf. We also do a distribution in our service area of those meals. So those nutritious meals really go far, and they're essential. Many people don't have the ability to cook. Right. Or want to, just saying. (laughs) Um, Last time I saw you was at a graduation for the academy, and that those students were so they got a a chef coat, whatever they call that, and they got a set of knives, and they were just so proud. I mean, it was wonderful to watch them. It is a really transformational program, and we it's a workforce development. And you know, our employers, especially in the food industry, are desperate for folks in their kitchen, uh, Sodexo, the larger uh, kitchens. And it is really wonderful to see folks come out of a place of challenge and into a place of confidence. I think some of what we do is really instill confidence and a vision for folks' future that they might not have of themselves. Well, especially these days, because how many restaurants are closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, because they don't have folks in the kitchen, they don't have enough wait staff. Yeah. It's really sad. And it's every yeah. every uh, work, right. every employer is desperate to find good workers. And, you know, that is some of the gaps that we're trying to help people who have barriers to employment. And some of those may be transportation access, and we can talk about right. our transportation programs as well. But uh, this Fuel Your Neighbors campaign, I do want to circle back. We are in the home stretch. We have, I just heard this morning, we have raised over $300,000, awesome. which is so fantastic. Our goal is 325. Every amount helps. And um, I just want to thank our listeners because as recently as uh, two weeks ago, we were actually 100,000 behind and a few large donors came forward. And it is just so heartening to all of us. But, you know, this program is really powered by VSECU. It was started with them 16 years ago. And in that time, we've raised over $1.5 million for awesome. food and heat um, and have helped over 6,000 people. But it's not just VSECU. We have help, and I want to thank our businesses, The Alchemist, the Vermont, uh, the Hunger Mountain Co-op right now right. is doing change up for Capstone and this program, Muscoma Bank. Uh, Vermont Blue Advantage, the National Life Group, such important awesome. partners. They par- partner with us in a number of ways. Lawson's Finest, um, Blue Cross Blue Shield, the Vermont Federal Credit Union, Pasumsic Bank, the Red Hen Banking, uh, Baking Company, Union Bank, and Waitsfield and Champlain Valley Telecom. Wow. wanted to thank all of our business Kudos. sponsors That's for this you amazing know, they, support. That whole list of names shows up everywhere in Vermont. They are the most generous companies and kudos to them because this obviously is very important. And um, I, we've mentioned this a couple of times on the show. 
what you see in our towns is not what's happening behind the scenes. People are still struggling. There's a lot of people who are still not in their homes. I mean, it, they need help. And I'm, I'm always afraid that people are going to sort of forget and think, oh, it looks good because they're open for business, sort of. Um, but what's going on behind the scenes? Pretty tragic. Pat, I'm so glad you um, mentioned this because in addition to all of the challenges that preceded um, those historic floods in July, July 11th, and then we had more floods in December, and, um, you know, there really are a lot of people still struggling. Right. And, you know, where those of us with privilege of not having been impacted – may not see these folks. And I want you to know that there are incredible um, array of volunteers here in Waterbury. We have a group. There are nine different what are called uh, long-term recovery committees. And these huh. are local organizations um, that are really working hard in Barry City. It's called Barry Up. Right. We also have a wonderful kind of interfaith coalition called the Hope Coalition. Right. Those folks have actually brought teams of um, volunteers from as far away as Texas and Massachusetts to go and rebuild homes. They're actually parked. They've got all their vans on my street in, oh. the, in the church that's there, in the church school. right Vine across. Street? Vine Street. That's where, I didn't know that's where you yes, live. Yes, that's where yeah. we live. So we watch them all the time coming and going. Well, Pat, they are doing many amazing things, and they're just part of this network. And Capstone is um, lucky enough to play a role. We were asked to stand up for the state a FEMA grant program called the Long-Term Disaster Case Management. Wow. And um, this is something that after Irene, which you recall, I was the recovery yes, officer. Sir. And at that time in 2011, and of course that was an extreme, another extreme flooding event, but it was the first time uh, Vermont was one of only two states to receive uh, this innovative program. Well, now here we are back at it. And um, what eventually we are doing is having a, a, a team across the state of case managers, um, the management program, and uh, construction managers. So, mm. you know, we have way down in southern Vermont, out in the Northeast Kingdom, Lamoille County dramatically right. hit throughout Washington County. This was very widespread. Um, we have over 6,000 people applied to FEMA. And what now we are, and sadly, it's seven months later, but we are beginning to stand this up. And what happens is, you know, the information that FEMA collects is privately held information. But because we now have a grant, we will be able to receive right. some of the information for those folks still struggling. But at the same time, the most important thing ever since day one, these local groups have been out and about and working tirelessly to help cases. So now we are bringing some folks who will be here for two years to work with the long-term recovery committees and most importantly, try to help people get back in their homes. Pat, it is, it's unbelievable. You know, I was talking with um, Barry Up, which is right. the group in Barry City. And they estimated that there are 370 structures in Barry City, which actually is over 500 housing units that wow. were impacted. And they think about a third of those are really significantly impacted. And you may have heard that, you know, a number of property owners, something in the range of 85, have been reached what they call a substantial damage threshold. And that 
has all kinds of rules about whether and how uh, folks can rebuild. And, and so it is a dramatic, an incredible displacement at a time where there is such a housing shortage. And Pat, I hate to say this, but people are still living in homes that aren't safe. Right. Uh, they may not have power and heat, but they have nowhere to go. People yeah. are living in cars. It, it is really, really difficult. And the folks who have um, uh, enough uh, pr- income to help and savings to help uh, get back into their homes. Right. But, you know, there are more and more people, as we've been talking about, really on the edge who have no savings yep. and have nowhere to go. Yeah, and I was, I actually was ran into Representative uh, Peter Anthony, who's on the Ways and Means Committee, and his whole house was a door. I mean, where he lived was just priceless. It was adorable. And it's completely wiped out. And I asked him if he's back yet. And he goes, no, you can't find people to do the work because everybody is busy. And he said it's months out before he'll even be able to think about it. He's going to come on the show and talk about it. Um, and also what's going on in ways and means. But just staggering. I, I looked at him and said, here's a guy who kind of knows people, pick up the phone. Nope. Couldn't get any help, so I this can't This is imagine. the other part is, I mean, we have such a, a, a an array of challenges from people who don't have the means to help, get the help. Uh, FEMA is able to help uh, to... For to some level, but for people with no savings, it's not enough. And by the way, going through the FEMA process, it's it's really in the end of the day an insurance right. company, and right. so they don't really get people ahead. Their goal is to try to get people to where they were, but in, it's a complex process. Yep, Let's just leave sure. it there, and it can be extremely frustrating and and traumatizing for right. people who are already in trauma. <laughs> and you know, Representative Anthony has been such an important advocate to say, I mean, his home was damaged, right. I believe, substantially. Oh, totally. He has to rebuild. That whole area, <clears throat> yep. you know, it, there's some real new thinking that is going on. It Does it make sense right. for people to like him it. to actually build back? He's a believe sustained three different yep. um, floods. Remember in 2011, before, before uh, uh, Irene in August, there was the floods in May, May exactly. that hit yep. uh, very badly. And so these... July 11th, 2023 floods have re-damaged um, so yep. the same area. So there is some real thinking about how do we manage the floodplain differently and hopefully helping people through what's called a buyout program. Right. After Irene, <clears throat> in Northfield, we, built, we did a buyout program for a whole neighborhood on River Street well, once you buy it out, you allow that river to flood right. its natural course. So that flood, that area was totally flooded in July 11th, but the rest of Northfield wasn't. Right, right. So it did the trick. So you kind of hit on something that I wanted to talk about this morning as well. You provide housing support for um, the for the folks that you uh, provide service to. There's homelessness in Barrie. People face evictions, um, housing instability. I'm not sure what that meant. I was reading your website. What what does housing instability sort of mean in real life? Well. What our role at Capstone, we do not run a shelter. We partner with the Good Samaritan uh, Haven right. as well as the Lamoille Community House uh, in Lamoille County, where we also serve. Um, but what we do is really help folks who are either facing homelessness. We try to do 
tenant landlord liaison work. Uh, if folks need to become better tenants, if they have a sudden loss of income and need that rent right. payment, we sometimes can help. But most importantly, we get people into a goal of becoming a solid tenant, whether that's helping them get food or a, a job and transportation. I mean, there's a whole lot uh, involved. But most importantly for right now, because there is such an enormous number of people who literally are unhoused and most of them are in currently housed in area hotels through the program that began during COVID. But you realize just in the Barry area, there's over 300 people in wow. that situation. And we partner with a number of different organizations, the Washington County Mental Health right. we were just talking about, yeah. the Family Center of Washington County, Good Samaritan Haven, and others to help people find housing. And, you know, so our role is the services, help people connect to housing, help them become uh good tenants and successful tenants, um, help them move on. We also provide what are called emergency temporary units because all the shelters that exist are not for families. And I am so sad to tell you that there are over 600 children oh. currently in Vermont who are unhoused. Just in the Barry system, the Barry school system, there's over a hundred kids. Excuse so me, just, um, what happens to the kids if the family doesn't have a home? Do they get separated? Well, um, one of the possibilities is living in one of our the units that we don't own, but we rent right. through the landlords. And I really want to give a shout out to landlords who partner with us Great. to help to provide uh, shelter and actual a home for families. And the units that we have are considered temporary and folks are supposed okay. to stay there for three months until we can help them find the housing and move forward in right. their self-sufficiency. Um, and actually... We currently have six, and the commissioner has just asked us to extend that to nine units. Uh, so, you know, that's a very small drop in the bucket. But what's nice is we provide then wraparound services. You know, we um, have Head Start, so yes, we do right. early childhood education. Um, and sadly, I'm going to tell you, we have just in our Head Start program 52 children who we serve, some of whom come to our Head Start Center uh, in Barrie right. on Brook Street, um, but others are living in hotels, and we do what's called home visiting with them. We bring them food, we bring them the right books, we bring them a whole uh, curriculum, and we help them find jobs. We help make sure they get to the doctor. We help make sure they have their oral health and, you know, mental health as well. So we really provide an array of services through our Head Start program, and our housing counselors are really helping them find the right unit for them. And there's just hard to find, right? I mean, oh. And forget the expense. It's just staggering, the, some of the things. I feel so bad for the kids. I didn't realize that. Oh, uh, it must Pat, be, I mean, it is you so. You lose your home and then you get separated it, and you're living in. And then, you know, getting to school. Yeah. Um, and that's a responsibility, of course, for the school system. Right. Um, and sometimes I know that our Head Start and the schools are often the most structure and routine and security that these folks have. And it's often also the meals that they get. You right. know, I know that our Head Start kiddos are receiving three nutritious meals a day. Right. And because of our community kitchen academy, we often are able to bring meals to those folks in the hotels or others who, with whom we do 
home visiting. Um, but it is really tragic and it is not going away. It's growing. And, you know, in the middle of COVID, um, a lot of people were housed quickly into these hotels. And because we were working along with our partners in the hotels to try to figure out what was happening to make sure they had food, what services did they need? Did they need to get vaccinations? Um, all of that in the middle of COVID. But it wasn't a shelter system. It wasn't managed the way our Good Samaritan Haven shelters are managed. Yeah, Rick is doing a fabulous job, isn't he? Oh, Good he has Every done... time I go by, I just kind of go kudos to you. And we need more Ricks and we need more Good Samaritan yeah. Havens and we need more shelters. And that's a conversation that's happening right here in yep. Waterbury. Um, and because the state is trying to transition out of relying on hotels and then becoming having more shelters. But, you know, I believe that the shelters need to be the kind of shelters that Rick right. and others across the state are running that really have a system of care. Yeah. So we play a role within that system of helping people get out of shelter into housing. But, you know, they many, many of the people in these hotels, sadly, there's moms and dads with yeah. young kids, but there's also a lot and a growing number of folks who are elderly who have medical conditions, who have co-occurring mental right. health and chronic conditions uh-huh. and, and also substance use. And so this is why one of the things we did in the middle of COVID is request from the state that children be housed separately from those individuals. And, and we were able to do that. Right. Um, and, and then meant we could provide better services to the to families. The kids, right? But I, you know, now it's so mixed up. Um, but it's a huge and growing problem about which I am gravely concerned. Yeah, I, well, I'm right with you on that. I don't know what the answer is, but uh, I do know the Good Samaritan, when it was going up, I was very impressed with the way it sort of fit right into the... The Welcome Center. Yeah, it just fit right in. And, and Pat, that's great. an example of why we are calling um, really the folks in the Housing and Homelessness Advocacy Network for non-congregate shelters. So the Welcome Center, which is what uh, we are referring to right. is a former um, motel right. on the Barry Montpelier ro- Road that got transformed into a shelter where everyone has individual units yes. and they're not all congregated together. And that's what worries us um, about this proposal, which we don't have a lot of details, but the idea of using the Waterbury Armory to have 40 to 50 people all together in one room, we maybe hopefully it won't be that, but we don't want to see right. congregate shelters because as I just explained, people have very serious challenges and they need a appropriate care. And when we put people into settings that are not appropriate to their needs, um, their conditions worsen and the whole situation right. uh, is not going in the direction of helping people get the help they need in the kind of facilities that they uh, that are set up for that need, whether it is mental health services, physical. We have people in wheelchairs, Pat. Right. We have people who are have oxygen. Um, these are the folks who are in these hotels for mm. whom we need to have really thoughtful next steps. Right. So I want to talk about something which the state has talked about forever. And you and I shared a job, sort of, from a transportation perspective. Um, let's talk about how you can help folks getting around, because public transit is not exactly rampant in Vermont. Well, Pat, you um, passed that torch to me. <laughs> Were you the first woman, second woman uh, transportation secretary? First, I think. First. Well, 
Susan Compton. Oh, that was way. Yeah, I I think you might have been second. I think I might have been the fourth. I was the fourth. Anyway, the point is, it's an honor to have served in that position um, and following upon your service. And uh, what I think we both did was I think we should be proud as a state, of a rural state, for our public transportation uh, investments. Um, if you look across the country per capita, right. we are actually among the highest, if not the highest. But to be living um, outside of the fixed route services right. that we can provide through that investment – means if you are uh, of low income and cannot afford either your car or to fix your car, it means you can't get to work. So um, this was something that was really revealed to me when I took this new job here at Capstone Community Action five years ago and met with so many of my partners around our service area and learned the biggest problem that they they felt that their clients, their biggest barrier to success was lack of access to transportation. Right. So we've done two things um, since I got uh, to Capstone, one of which we worked with the legislature and the Agency of Transportation to initiate a program which is now called Mileage Smart. You may recall that uh, and know that there are incentives um, to purchase uh, electric vehicles. And we said, well, if we're incentivizing that, what about low-income people who won't be able to afford that? Right. What about getting them out of gas guzzlers and into more high-efficiency vehicles? So they said yes, and we started this program, and now we're three years into it, and the state has actually adopted it as one of its climate strategies, and it's using used cars. Um, it's giving up to $5,000 incentive to help with the purchase of a used high-efficiency vehicle. It may be a hybrid like a Prius. It might be um, an electric vehicle, uh, but it has to get over 40 miles per gallon. Whoa. And since that time, Pat, we have helped 900, over 900 folks purchase these cars. And it's not only helping people of low income get into cars that are higher efficiency, it's saving them money because those cars, of course, cost less to right. fill. They also tend to have far less... Um, maintenance costs. I know because I have a Prius and I, it's the le- cheapest car I've ever had and it's the best performance. And um, I feel really proud that not only that, but we think we're driving the used car market. We work with the car dealers and there was a real dearth of um, of, of used cars of any type. And they have been uh, bringing more into Vermont uh, because they know they can help move these quickly through this program. And I'm really pleased that we're making a very small but substantial difference for the folks who are getting these cars with a discount through the state uh, incentive program. That's great. Good for you. It's really funny. There was a, a car dealer on this morning um, advertisement as I was writing it to WDV. And he was saying they, they have all these new cars, but they don't have any used cars because – they're in such high demand, and I know our dealership keeps calling and saying, hello, want to give us, want to bring one in? It's so. been really a difficult market, but it's getting much better, That's and great. we feel like this program. But I want to mention another transportation program because we know that only some folks can even afford a car like this. And uh, what we are also uh, initiating, we've actually worked on this for almost three years, to come up with a program that can be more like a 
an Uber or a Lyft, oh. you know, an on-demand right. um, transit service. So we now have a fleet of all-electric cars and uh, five drivers. Uh, we've actually started a new nonprofit um, to take this on called Community Rides Vermont. Um, and it's really just been at the very beginning stages, um, but we are providing rides, um, especially, Pat, we are a sub-grant recipient from Green Mountain Transit, so uh, they use our cars and drivers to get elderly and disabled, Medicaid transportation, folks into substance use recovery, those programs. Right. But we're also starting to contract with schools, for example, who need to get um, the unhoused children to their schools. Excellent. Lots of uh, other contracted services and we eventually hope this will then become more like an actual taxi or Uber where anyone can access it. We're developing a new application so it can be on your phone. Um, and it's going to be called Gopher, the Gopher <laughs> Transportation, because we want Excellent. you to go for it That's in it. electric vehicles and get where you need to go. Uh, we envision really launching in May, but we are starting these ser- these rides now. And, Pat, they have been essential rides because that's our commitment. We want to make sure people can get their kids to the doctor. We want to make sure kids, our young women who are right. at our Brook Street High School, can get to high school. People do not have cars. They can't get to, sh- to, the, right. to their work. They can't get to shop. They can't get to health care appointments. And that's the gap that we are trying to fill because, you know, community action has a long history. And we are constantly looking at what are the barriers to economic success and self-sufficiency in this economy. And we are trying to fill that gap. And that is our new gopher service that's coming online soon. You know, you must have the most amazing, dedicated, and nimble staff in in this whole county because you have so many great ideas and you keep they keep moving right along with you and providing great service. I have an amazing, amazing yep. staff, and they're working really hard, and there's so much stress in the community. And actually, I need to stop coming up with new ideas, Pat, <laughs> because sometimes it gets to be a little much, and I am trying to do that and focus internally. But we have so I'm so grateful for right. the folks who are helping those who are unhoused, helping those who are suffering without enough heat, without enough food. Right. And when you see the folks coming in, and we can talk about our income tax program. Yes, I would like to program. do that. Right. Um, actually, I saw a picture of you with Becca Ballant. This is so funny. The National EITC Day with Congressman Ballant, and it was the Earned Income Tax Credit Day. I, that's a day I wouldn't have expected <laughs> that we would celebrate, but there you go. Well, I will tell you, yes, Congresswoman Ballant was with us, as was the tax commissioner, and they were so excited that it was tax season was beginning, and it was really sort of a PR to make sure people are remembering to uh, get their taxes in, but especially those of low income, because the earned income tax credit is specifically for uh, those folks. And we are, the Community Action Network across Vermont uh, has a program called called VITA, the Volunteer Ah. Income Tax Assistance Program. And it started last week, and if you come to our offices or any CAP agency across the state, um, and in... um, in in uh, Burlington, it, you can also go to the University Mall. You can get, if you are of a certain income, $60,000 uh, annual income or less, you can get assistance getting your taxes written. 
Capstone ha- has one uh, employee that works year-round doing tax assistance, and then we have a, a part-time temporary. And we have 30 volunteers. I want to tell you, last year, we helped file over 1,700 taxes for folks in our community that needed help. And the best part is it brought into our community over $2.1 million in tax credits, like the EITC, like the child tax credit, uh, the homestead, all of these taxes that go right into the pockets of low-income people who go right into the economy. These are people who are spending this money on you know, basic needs. So I see it as an economic development tool. But most importantly, please remember, it's tax season. If you need help, you can call us uh, at Capstone. And our um, 1-800 number, 1-800-639-1053. You can go to capstonevt.org. And we can... uh, connect you to, if you're outside of the Capstone service area, to a VITA volunteer that can help you. That is awesome. I was there last year, I think, filming the uh, Kitchen Academy, and I was outside, and there were several people there waiting to get their taxes done. And I knew one of the individuals, and I said, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, I'm getting my taxes done. I said, you're kidding. It's a free service, Pat. Yes. I think... uh, Oh, there's somebody um, on the phone. Xenia, I hope I pronounced that correctly, from Barry. Um, you're on the air with Sue. Hi. Um, I'm one, one area that doesn't get talked about very much, um, and thinking is transportation thing. Uh, not everybody has a digital cell phone, Uh I don't for two reasons. One, I can't afford another monthly bill. But the other thing is I had a stroke a few years back. I'm, I'm 75 now. And since the stroke, I can't really do digital stuff, hardly uh. at all. And so I, I know that there's the transit has, has a system where you, you call, but you have to have a cell phone. Um, so please... Interesting. I want to tell you. Not everybody has has a cell phone and and not not to make programs that are only available to people that do have cell phones and can work them. Thank you, Xenia. Yeah, Yeah, and I'm so glad you called because we can help you by a phone call. We also have a call center. Um, And I'm sorry I don't have the direct line for the transportation service, but if you call Capstone and ask to get transferred to the transportation, they will be able to um, give you the right line number. So you can always call us at 1-800-639-1. 053 but of course you're local so you could also just call the office at 4791053 we can definitely help you even if you do not have a, a cell phone or a digital phone of any kind and what we will do is be able to set you up either with a green mountain transit service or with our service uh, and that's an individual service where we can meet you at the door and take you to your essential ride Great. Yeah, I, I personally, right now, I'm still driving and I still have a car. I mean, there there are some days when my health is not up to being a safe driver and I won't be able to drive forever. As you know, you get older, you develop a lot of health problems. Uh, so right right now, when I'm feeling up to it and, and I still have a workable car, uh, I don't personally need this, but I know there's a lot of people. Yeah, you're right, that, I really that, appreciate you know, your. Like 
they, you know, we don't do digital. Yeah, yeah. I'm right with you, Xenia, on some of that stuff. This AI thing is a little over my head. (laughs) But uh, thank you for calling in. Thank Um, you. That was very um, good to comment. Um, Sue, I'd like to talk um, about STEM. You have STEM for teachers and students. It's an education service that you provide. And we all know that... um, Vermont is focused on STEM, um, which is what we'd like to see our kids learn and teachers. And could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I want to talk about our education, our Head Start program, because that really is our early education program where we start. And I want to mention a wonderful partnership with ECHO. Um, ECHO from the Leahy Center has actually partnered with us and is doing training for our teachers and our uh, young uh, learners in STEM education. Um, But I also want to mention another really important education program that's related and part of our Head Start, which is our Brook Street High School. And this is a program for pregnant and parenting uh, young adults, women, who have uh, carried their are pregnant during high school years and carry their babies to term but drop out of high school. So whether they're pregnant or their kiddos are young, we want to make sure every young mom gets a high school diploma. And that's what this special program, it's like a one-room schoolhouse. And we have a unicorn of a teacher who is um, certified in all four disciplines. And our young women Good. become, get their high school diploma. And, and you know, Talk about graduation ceremonies that are moving. Oh my gosh. Uh, because these women have overcome so much right. to be determined to not only be a great uh, parent and uh, many of them have, you know, have to access their transportation. They're living on their right. own. They have to work. Um, and they're overcoming a lot of their own challenges. And we have many programs for them that beyond what they learn, uh, their education for high school. Um, they have an arts program, uh, artist in residence program. We have an art show. Um, they get mental health services every week. Um, and they learn cooking and budgeting and, um, you know, all the uh, money coaching, awesome. financial literacy. They learn to be a great parent. If they're nursing and have needs, they get lactation support. Lots of opportunities for right. our Brook Street High School kiddos. Oh, I didn't know you did that. I asked Sue before the program, what's this? And I certainly found out what a great service. I missed an opportunity to recognize Sue when Irene hit <laughs> Sue um, did such an incredible job uh, for transportation and for the state that she received national recognition and was asked to tour around and tell folks what we did. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's ancient I, history, I, but it it's come matter. back to roost. And, well, here we are, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was uh, an amazing experience and, and honestly one of the most rewarding, I guess, the highlights, I guess, of my career. Um to be able to be part of an amazing state recovery and to follow in the footsteps of Neil Lunderville, who really right. set the course for that recovery. But I was a part of it for two and a half years. I was able to bring a team to Colorado in 2013 right. from VTrans to help with their uh, recovery. Awesome. And it was because of the very similar kind of uh, disaster. But, of course, now, Pat, there are so many disasters uh, with ex- 
extreme weather. Right. But I do want to talk about where we are with respect to individuals who are still struggling. And many of you may have supported in some way or another the um, the fundraising efforts for right. helping. And um, Capstone was part of a group that raised money for businesses for across the state called the Main Street um, Recovery Fund. But the statewide disaster recovery, the Vermont Disaster Recovery Fund, which is really a part uh, or connected in partnership with the Vermont Community Foundation. I want everyone to know that your donations are still welcome. You can buy a Vermont Strong license plate, but be part of what's going to help. We were talking earlier about the hundreds of folks still struggling. And when they go through a case management program through the case managers that Capstone and our partners are going to hire, um, some of whom are already on the ground, and also the long-term recovery committees are, are having and hiring case managers, those cases eventually will be brought to um, an, um, a, a group a committee of the, it's called the Allocations Committee of the Vermont Disaster Recovery Fund, whose new chair is the one and only Chris Graff, who awesome. maybe you should get on the I'm show. I'm going to call him when I leave here. <laughs> but we are really just starting this process. I know it's seven months late, but it is, as you mentioned earlier, very complex to get some of these homes, the contractors on board, uh, the assessments done, how much is it going to cost? How much then does the uh, individual homeowner able to pay? What is the gap? And we try to use any local funds first uh, and then uh, with what's left, apply to this Vermont Disaster Recovery Fund case by case. Right. So that's almost the next most essential phase because I believe each case might have an, um, a maximum of 25000 You'll have to get that from Chris. But this is just beginning now, and I want folks to know that if they've donated, their funds are going to really urgent and essential needs, and uh, we will still be raising money for those folks who really can't recover and get back into their homes without extra support. We were trying to push on, on this, on my show, uh, by local, because what I learned from the businesses is they make their money to get through the first quarter of every year, which is always slow, unless you're in the ski business. But um, that last quarter of every year is when they have to make their money to make it through. Which and is exactly when they got flooded Exactly, out. the second time. I mean, unbelievable. So... Um, they need your help regardless of what the towns look like as you're driving through. Oh, there's so much repair. You know, there's a lot of infrastructure, of course, repair, roads, bridges, culverts, rivers. And then how are we thinking about the floodplain restoration? You know, are there other areas where we can have significant buyouts, um, which is a very difficult conversation. It's a difficult process, but it's an emotional conversation for folks to imagine giving up the home that they may have had for 40 plus years um, longer. Uh, But what we have seen um, from Irene because we did f- push forward and we incentivized uh, that activity uh, from the state level, working with FEMA. Um, and in areas where it's really made a difference, like in Northfield, there's a ton right. of things we could talk about in, in Waterbury, in Brandon, and all over the state, uh, how we've been able to think differently 
because we have to realize the these storms are coming back and we want to get people out of harm's way. Right. But these businesses, all recovery is local and they need you now as much as they did right. in July and December for all the reasons because we were able to give out small grants. Uh, the state also gave out relatively small grants, but these businesses need your business to actually pay exactly. back so many of the loans that they've also had to take out. So so stay local, live and local here on yeah. WDEV and in every little downtown. <laughs> well, yeah, because I, there's a little concern about who's not going to make it through the first quarter. Um, it's that close. So Well, we and many to... businesses haven't come back. Right, exactly. And so for those who have, they are taking a huge risk. And you can imagine that they're on a financial tight wire. So, yes, please remember to buy local. And it's part of your flood investment, yes, flood right. recovery investment for the uh, future. I was going to mention that the people that I talked to after the flood, they all said that the changes that were made during Irene worked and they didn't have the issues that they had elsewhere um, because of the changes. So they do work. And so we've no got question to- about it. We I mean. We lost, after Irene, I believe 200 state bridges, 600 miles of road. Now, we really rebuilt with resilience, and what that meant in terms of infrastructure was thinking of much larger bridges, larger culverts. Right. Now, uh, you and I know with the state roadway system, it's the Federal Highway Administration. They immediately partnered and agreed to these much higher, more expensive, but right. guess what? The cost is less because now they're still there. Mm-hmm. They weren't washed out. We had a really long, really protracted uh, disagreement with FEMA, who funds the town system. Uh, but bit right. by bit, we had to appeal um, hundreds, literally, of culvert yeah. <laughs> investments to make sure. So, yes, uh, it, it does make sense to invest and um, in resilience, and there's lots of ways to talk about that. And that's the moment we're in. It's difficult, yeah. and it's essential. Great. Thank you. Simon, I'm going to um, say thank you to you. Um, I hope we got to everything. We didn't talk about the micro-business development, um, which is an amazing program. And I've known a couple of graduates from that program, and they're very successful. Because well, the of best way help. to get out of poverty is to start your own business, and that's what we help you do. But that's thank good. you. It was a great conversation this morning. Thank you very much. Stay tuned, because as Greg Titus told you before, I have Roger Hill to talk about Antarctica. Can you imagine? Ooh. See you in a minute. This is Pat uh, Pat McDonald, the host of Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV.